Live from Studio B on the campus of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, this is Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Hello, friends. I am so glad you're joining me for the second hour of Open Line. This is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. We're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm professor of Jewish Studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute, also academic dean of the undergraduate school. And we have a special studio audience today, so no phone calls today. Just listen in. I'm sure someone's going to ask the question you've always been wondering about. Uh, click on the link that says, if you, if you want to ask a question, you can go to our website, uh, openlineradio.org. Click on the link that says, Ask Michael a Question. And when you click on that, you can fill out the form, put your question there. Trisha McMillan, our producer, will put it into a future mailbag, so we'll get to it sometime. But before we get to questions, I want to introduce someone uh, joining me for this hour. And that is, uh, let's see, how should I put this? Dr. Joe Stoll, I believe the seventh Seventh president of Moody Bible Institute, today a special ambassador for Moody Bible Institute, representing Dr. Job around the country. Uh, and I am so, I can't tell you, I just love seeing your face. I'm so glad to see you, Joe. It's good, <laughs> it's good to see you, Michael. <laughs> Michael, we've been friends for so many years. Yeah. So it's such it's, an honor to be here with oh, you. Oh, uh, honor for And yeah. for every question, I'm going to say, well, my, Michael's got that answer, you know, like, <laughs> because, you know, you're the ton smarter than I am. But yeah. it's a joy to be here with you, Michael. And I'm I, so glad you're yeah, here. And it's I great. admire your work. Thanks for loving the students here at Moody oh. and teaching them, raising this whole new generation. To influence the cultures of our world for Christ and His kingdom, I I just I just thank you. Thanks for the privilege. You know, you're the one that interviewed me. I know. I had you're the last step that I had, and I was so nervous. And I have to. People don't know what it's like when you interview at Moody. You interview with the academic dean, with the department, with the with the provost, who is like the senior vice president of education. Then you uh, then you interview. With everybody, it seems like, and then you go into the inner sanctum on the ninth floor of Kroll Hall, <laughs> and you meet the president, and it's really scary. Mm-hmm. And then I walked in, and Joe Stoll gave me this great big smile. He actually gave me a hug as I walked in, had never seen me before. And then he says, hey, I went to school with a friend of yours, and started talking to me, and it just set me at ease. Yeah. Immediately became my friend, and I'm so grateful. Yeah, so. by, by far one of my best hires, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're kind. <laughs> well, uh, before we go to questions, I want to talk about our current resource because people ask about it. Uh, our live studio audience are all going to get a copy of it, but if you're listening, uh, you can get a copy of it too. It's called 50 Most Important Bible Questions, and I'm really dedicated to this resource because I wrote it. And uh, the reason I uh, think it's helpful, because it's based on the questions that people ask on OpenLine, either the most common questions or the most significant questions. And what I tried to do was answer the questions in an easy-to-understand way so that a seeker, spiritual seeker who doesn't even know what they believe yet could get some of their questions answered, or someone who is a mature a longtime follower of Jesus can get some of the questions answered so anyone can understand them. And I try to really stick to the text of Scripture. If you'd like a copy 
of 50 Most Important Bible Questions, and you're listening, you're not part of the studio audience, and you think, well, how can I get that? Uh, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any size to Open Line. So if you send a gift of any size, just ask for 50 Most Important Bible Questions, and we'll say thank you by sending it to you. How do you do that? Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember, when you give, ask for 50 most important Bible questions. And now uh, here's our first question. And I just want to say, if it's a hard one, I'm just ditching it right over to Dr. Stoll. There we go. Good morning. Uh, Bob from Rockford. When the Israelites went up to the temple for the festival, what did they actually look like? Did they worship with songs and music and hear teaching from the Word? What did they look like? They looked like they were from Brooklyn, just like me. That's what they looked like. Uh, I, I, you know, when you, you think about it, uh, so much of what we do is rooted, well, in the New Testament first body of believers, the, 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 what some have called the Jewish church, uh, the, the Messianic assembly that we see formed in the book of Acts. So much of what we do is rooted in what they did. Uh, you know, they read Scripture. Uh, they had a teaching from the Bible. Uh, they, and we can see that in, and where did they get that from? Well, they got that from the synagogue. And so much of what the synagogue did got it from the temple worship. Particularly, and this is important, after the temple was destroyed, many of the temple practices were moved into the synagogue. Uh, and so, so much, you know, when we go to services and we sing hymns, it's because there's the book of Psalms that were sung in the temple. Uh, when, when we go to services and we read scripture, public reading of scripture, it's because in the synagogue and in the temple, they read the scriptures. Uh, and uh, when, when there's an exposition of the word, it's because there was a drash. Uh, which is the Hebrew word for an exposition uh, in the synagogue, and that's what was done. Because when we see the Lord Jesus, when he goes to the temple, what does he do? He teaches the Bible. And so, uh, yes, it looked, uh, looked a lot like us, but uh, people look a little bit more American than, than they did. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, Michael, what's fascinated me always is what they look like when the festival days Mm-hmm. Feast of the Tabernacles, the Passover, right, where they would be coming from long distances away and would have made these pilgrimages, and some of them of different languages were all coming to celebrate the Passover. And I think the numbers were amazing, right? Yeah, like, millions, yeah. millions of people. That Now, people say Josephus was exaggerating when he said that when they came to the temple. Right Now, what I think is so funny is they have always said that Josephus exaggerated. Like, the, you've been to the southern steppes in yes, Israel. We're going right. to go there in about 45 days. I know. Uh, but uh, I'm going, Can't to, wait. going to Israel with Dr. Stoll. I'm and, going to Israel with Michael Riddell. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but they said, those southern steppes, those, it could not be the way he described it. He's exaggerating. And, of course, after 1967, Israel excavated the southern portion of the temple, and uh, those southern steps were exactly Massive there. steps. They're, yeah. they're right there. So uh, when, when I think he says about 3 million people mm. came yeah. uh, And to a very Jerusalem. diverse crowd. Yeah. In fact, if you go to the New Testament, 
that's where Peter preached the sermon and the different tongues because the different languages of yeah. everybody who had come to the all temple. All those Jewish people who are coming from all over the world. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I even think, you know, someday in heaven, you know, people from every tribe and nation yeah. will be gathering at the throne room of Jesus Christ as yeah. well, you know. So, yeah. so we're going to worship like that, not just now in our churches, but in the future. It's going to be amazing, yeah, you know. Yeah. And as a Bible teacher, I've always been a little annoyed by the fact that when we get to heaven, I'm out of a job, but yeah. worship leaders, they'll yeah. still have a job, you know. <laughs> Maybe you'll get to teach a little Bible on the side. Well, you we know, won't need it. to. So, we'll be with the Word. Yeah, exactly. We'll be with yeah. the Word. Yeah. People have asked me that. Will we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us then? And and I think, well, I think so, but I don't know. So Interesting. Yeah. I've never thought of that. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always deferring to saying, well, we'll see. That's, That's a great answer. <laughs> That's the, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. From Salina, Ohio. In Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council no longer required circumcision for conversion. Why then, immediately after this council in Acts 16, did Paul have Timothy circumcised? Paul hadn't heard what the decision was at the Jerusalem Council. <laughs> no, that's not the answer. Uh, now, there's two views about that. One is that uh, Timothy was circumcised just as a means of testimony so he could go into uh, synagogues with Paul. It was just testimony, didn't really have any significance, uh, just a cultural thing. Uh, the problem with that is Paul makes it really clear that he wouldn't circumcise a uh, person who wasn't Jewish, like Titus. And no, they just can't come in to the temple with him or the synagogue or you know whatever it is like that. I think the better answer is that what Acts 15 prohibited was the uh, circumcision of Gentiles to convert to Judaism. It did not prohibit the circumcision of Jewish people as the outward sign of the Abrahamic covenant, which continues to this day. Uh, and so therefore, when Paul meets Timothy, he finds out he's got a Jewish mom, but he was never circumcised because he had a pagan dad, and therefore, he's. And by the way, if your mother is Jewish or your father is Jewish, you know what that makes you? Jewish. Jewish, exactly. And when he heard that, uh, he said, Okay, Timothy, you can join me on this trip. I really need you, but there's a little surgery you need first. And, uh, and it was because of it being the outward sign of the Abrahamic covenant, which continues to this day. Uh, and so I think that's what it was. It was not because of just a cultural thing to get him into the, the room, you know, but rather it was because the Abrahamic covenant continues. And I think that's a crucial element that we, even Gentiles today, by faith, we get the spiritual yeah. benefits. Jewish believers get both the physical promises as well as the spiritual benefits. And it kind of speaks to the big controversy in the New Testament church, right? Mm -hmm. How much of the Old Testament law has to be kept to be like a true Christian, yeah. which the Jewish believers tended to push that agenda. Yeah. But Paul was very clear, wasn't he, yeah. that circumcision was not required to follow Christ or to be a true believer in Jesus exactly. Christ, because book of Hebrews, Christ had completed all of that. Mm -hmm. And now we're in this whole new season of liberty. And so I... Uh, yeah. that You know what I think is interesting is circumcision of Gentiles is part of the law of Moses. However, circumcision of uh, Jewish people is not part of the law. It's part of Genesis with Abraham. 
It's pre-law. Uh, and I think that that's a really significant difference because it never got you any access to God. It was just an outward sign of the promise of God. And so uh, that's why it's still permitted. Uh, but the I, I, I don't think circumcision got you access to God under the law of Moses, but it would be a sign that you are embracing the law of Moses uh, if you're a Gentile. And and so, no, not not for Gentiles, absolutely not. Uh in terms of ritual circumcision, uh, not talking about you know what what you do with a three day old baby. That's not what it's talking about. But the ritual, however, the circumcision of a of a Jewish person, believer or not, you know, believing family or not, the Abrahamic covenant continues. God's faithful to His promises, and that's what that that's why I think Timothy was circumcised. By the way, who asked that question? Do you have a Moody Bible commentary? Okay, good. Check that out in Acts 15. Uh, I know the person, the editor, who commented on that. We're going to take a break that here. Would be, that would be you. Yeah, that would be me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and uh, we're going to come right back with more of your questions in just a moment. You're listening to Open Line with Joe Stoll and Michael Wright. Don't go away. We're coming right back. There's a lot more to talk about. with me listening in today, and I'm so grateful for this live studio, studio audience right here on the campus of Moody Bible Institute. Always wonderful to see you. Uh, also joining me this hour is Dr. Joe Stoll. Joe and I, uh, you know, I love it that you say we're friends because we really, you know, we are. That's, yeah. uh, I'm really grateful, but 30 years, that's mm. just, you know, maybe it's because we're old, but that's it. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's it. But, uh, but anyway, I'm grateful for that. Uh, you know, when Open Line started, I thought that my wife, Eva, would be the only one that ever listened. And I will say this, she's the most faithful listener, because uh, I get the review every week when I get home. <laughs> what about that question? Uh, I think you need a little work on that one, hmm. if you get asked that again. No, she's not critical at all. She, she does laugh about some of the things I make, up, I make, make mistakes with. But uh, uh, anyway... Uh, I am grateful, though, because I know that other people listen. And uh, I know, let's see this audience. If you have ever listened to Open Line before? Yes. Okay, there we go. They're raising their hands. That's good. I'm always amazed about that. And I'm grateful to God for that. And I really uh, pray that it would minister to the people. That's our biggest prayer, that when people listen to Open Line, that it would minister to them. And one of the things that I've discovered is the people who are ministered to are the ones that want to minister back. And they have become kitchen table partners. They are the people who give monthly to Open Line so I can answer questions weekly. And I'm so grateful that they keep this Bible study across America on the air. Now, if you are listening and you think, well, this has been an encouragement in my walk with the Lord. It's helped me in my knowledge of the Word and, and obedience to it, uh, growth in, in the Lord. And I'd like to become a kitchen table partner, too. Well, we will welcome you. And especially uh, one of the ways I, I like to say thank you is every other week I send a Bible study moment. It's a special audio Bible study designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. And so we can send you that uh, if you become a kitchen table partner. How do you become a kitchen table partner? It's real easy. Just go to our website, openlineradio.org, and there's a link there where you can sign up. Or call 888 
888-644-7122. That's 888-644-7122. And we're going to go right back to questions. Okay. Oh, you know, I, I want to, before I ask, I have a question. I said Joe Stoll is here. Now, Joe, what are you doing here at Moody Bible Institute again? What's, what's yeah. going on? What brings you back? Good question. Well, bring me back. As you know, we served together for 18 years, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. And the Lord, you know, moved us into different fields of ministry. And not quite two years ago, I actually retired from Christian higher education, didn't retire from the kingdom. So Marty and I were praying, Lord, what do you want us to do now in this season of our lives? And there's actually months with nothing really surfacing. No, no visions, no, uh, yeah, right. no writing on no the wall. No epiphanies or anything. Yeah. But it, so Mark Job, our present president, mm-hmm. who I've known for years, who I have such trust in him, his commitment to the word of God, his mm-hmm. passion for global evangelism, his love for students. Uh, when he was appointed president, I was so excited that he me became, too. yeah. And so Mark calls me, you know, just a few months ago and he said, Hey Joe, we're getting ready to launch this massive vision. And I was just thinking, you know, I'd love to have somebody alongside of me who has had some experience and who could just partner with me in moving this forward. Well, that was like the answer to prayer. First Mm -hmm. of all, I've loved my time at Moody and to think to be back in Moody World with its amazing vision and effectiveness for the kingdom. And so now they gave me this title. I'm like global ambassador (laughs) and special assistant to the president at Moody Bible Institute. So I work for Mark and, uh, you know, he and I talk together, a little advice and counsel. And uh, when I'm out, I represent Moody. And so it's all things Moody in our lives now. And it's a delight to be back in the Moody world. I am so grateful to God for this. When even I heard this announcement, we were like jumping up and down. We were so happy. We were so excited. So thank well, you. Well, so were we. Yeah, thank you for joining us again. I'm yeah. so glad. Glad to oh, be back. Okay, well, let's go to the questions now. Well, hello, Dr. Randall Delnick. Um, my name Michael's is Michael's fine. Michael. Yeah, okay. My name is Tom. I'm from South Haven, and I'm asking this question. From South Haven, Michigan? South Haven, Michigan. Oh, that's, that's like the Holy Land, right? Yeah. yeah. It is, yes. And I'm asking this question for my granddaughters, Hazel and Charlotte. Um, Second Corinthians five twenty one. Um, what does it mean that he made him to be sin who knew no sin? Okay, he made him uh, who knew no sin to become sin. sin. Now, some people mistakenly, I think, believe that the Lord Jesus and, and you, you've heard this right that all the sin of the world came on him. And that's why the Lord Jesus said, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father could not look upon sin. Habakkuk one thirteen, your eyes are too pure to look upon sin. Uh, I just want to be really clear. One, the Lord Jesus never became sinful. He never committed sin. He didn't even somehow become sinful uh, vicariously. He did not become sinful. Secondly, the, the eternal fellowship of the Father and the Son was never broken. That was a rhetorical question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a, a rhetorical question is if you keep reading, he's quoting from Psalm 22, you can see that he knows why. Uh, so uh, I think we have tremendous theological issues if the fellowship between the Father and the Son could even be broken for a moment. So I'm going to say that it's, there's a, a phrase that we call, you've seen ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. 
Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one has an ellipsis in there. It is He made him who knew no sin to become a sin offering on our behalf. So there is a sort of symbolic transference of our sin, but not an actual transference of our sin to the Lord Jesus. He didn't become sinful intrinsically, uh, but rather he became a substitutional payment for our sin. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 is, uh, the, if we fill in the ellipsis, he became a sin offering, Just and then it throws us right back to the Old Testament and the book of Leviticus. Now, I want, Joe, would you comment about how significant that sin offering is? Yeah, well, I would be delighted to yeah. do that. You know, and does Isaiah 53 that he bore our sin. sins? He didn't yeah. become our sin. Mm-hmm. He bore our sins. He bore the punishment is the yeah, idea. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think the significance of that is in all of our sinfulness, there there is shame and there is guilt and there is regret. And all of that was on him at the cross. I mean, he died naked publicly, mm-hmm. the shame. Just think of all of us who feel shame for our sin. He bore that for us. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he became shame for us. And, and he bore our guilt and all of that to cleanse us so that we have shame no more. We have guilt no more. And that in our love, we cease sinning because we're so grateful. That's what drives us, our gratitude to not want to continue to sin. Mm -hmm. So the picture of Christ on the cross, I think, is the most, uh, not the most, but certainly the one of the most significant realities we face in our lives as fallen sinners who have no hope to help ourselves to think that the Creator God said, I will take care of this for you. Yeah. I will take care of it. And you know, one of the things that I love, and my wife's here somewhere, I see her. She'd say, and the way he can give us that new life is because he is alive. Amen. Uh, he, he didn't stay dead. Yeah. He didn't stay as our sin offering. Now he's the risen Lord who grants us life. You know, I like to, Michael, like to think about uh, the cross in a sense was Satan's victory. Like he had killed the Messiah, yeah. right? He had killed the one who Genesis three, yeah. you know, the Messiah was going to crush his head. Well, he, you know, he killed the Messiah and he knew what he was doing. Right. Yeah. I'm sure there was a party in hell yeah. you know, for three days. And then while, while he's sitting on his satanic throne, all of a sudden one of the demons comes and whispers in his ear, we have a problem. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, a little yeah. problem here. We have a problem. You know, Jesus won the victory. You know, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says uh, uh, about the, the power of death. Uh, I think it's verse uh, 15. Jesus shared in these, the flesh and blood, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. And mm. I think Satan thought, I've got the power of death. Yeah, right. I control who dies and who lives. And, yeah. uh, uh, sir, we've got a little problem. Yeah, here. we have a problem here. That's what are we going to do it. about this? Because he's alive. Isn't that great? So, okay, my name's Rita, and I'm from Rockford, Illinois. And my question is from Genesis, when Abraham saw three men coming to visit him, and we go on, and it talks about them leaving, and one of the men says, the Lord said. Um, And then later on in in Genesis 19, it talks about the other two men, assumedly, were angels that arrived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. 
So I guess my question is about Christology, that was it really Christ that came back? And then there's sometimes it talks about the angel of the Lord. And when do, how do we do interpret that? How do we deal with that? Well, first of all, we could say that uh, the, that the angels, because they were messengers, they spoke for God, so an angel said it, and therefore God said it. Okay, That's how we could deal with it. I think there's something more significant than that happening. Here in Genesis 18, I think this, this appears to be what people have called theologians, if we get real serious here, uh, we can call it a theophany, a manifestation of God. Now, the problem is, in Scripture, it says that God, the Father, never manifests himself. We never can see him. So just thinking logically, we presume that this is a, in, uh, a presentation or a manifestation of God the Son uh, before uh, the incarnation, before he took on flesh. Uh, that's what I, I think this is. I think it's a Christophany. I think it's not just here in Genesis 18, where the Messiah is a pre-incarnate appearance, uh, but also in Exodus 1, when Moses, uh, or Exodus 2, when he sees the burning bush, uh, and it says the Lord spoke from the midst of the burning bush, I think that is the pre-incarnate Messiah uh, speaking there. I happen to believe it is, if you're going to use the theological term, a Christophany. I, I, I was wondering, what do you think about that? I just want to say I totally agree with okay, you. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, seriously, I do. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's it. And it's, it shows the great mercy of God that he manifests himself, even in the Old Testament, through the Messiah. I'm really grateful for it. Well, those are great questions, but we have more coming up, so don't go away. You're listening to Open Line with Michael Radelnik and Joe Stoll, so stay with us. in and so glad for the studio audience right here on the campus of Moody Bible Institute. How many are here for the first time on our campus? Anyone? Look at that. No one here heard that. You have to clap. Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> so glad that you're here. And you know, there's a new thing at Moody Bible Institute. And I got to, I'm not sure you know about this, Joe. Okay. So I bet you do because you know everything. But here, here's the deal. So many people have said to me when I go around the country to speak, oh, I would so love to study at Moody Bible Institute, but I'm too old. Yeah. No, you're not too old. You're, it's fine. Uh, and then they say, well, but I'm too far away. I can't leave Orlando or Los Angeles or something like that. Well, one of the benefits of the pandemic has been that now... All our classes are taught in what's called hybrid fashion. And what that means is that I have a class, like right, right now I'm teaching a course this semester called Messianic Prophecy. I've got 35 students sitting in the classroom, and I've got three students that zoom in, uh, and they watch the class, and they do all the assignments, and are fully matriculated students from other places. And... I think this is an unbelievable opportunity. Absolutely. 
Uh, people can study at the Moody Bible Institute. Used to be you had to take a full load, you know, 12 credits minimum. Now you can take a course uh, anywhere you want. You can zoom in at the regular undergraduate program and the seminary uh, graduate program from anywhere in the world. I think this is one of the greatest things. And so even though, you know, the pandemic was sort of a pain in the neck, right? Oh, knocking my coffee pot, coffee cup. Uh, it was a pain in the neck. But look at this benefit that came about that now anywhere in the world people can study at the Moody Bible Institute. So I'm telling you, folks, because you're new to the campus, uh, come back. That's uh, that's it. And if you're listening you think, I would like to study at Moody Bible Institute, check out moodybible.org. Yeah, that's great it. opportunity. And no matter where you are, right? Kind of like Moody in pajamas. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, like, you know, exactly. You can my cup in, of coffee. Yeah. And, Just put on a sweater or something so yeah. that when they see your face on yeah. the screen. So do they actually zoom into the class yeah, with you? into the class, yeah. Oh, so it's actually live. Live, it's right not there. Just it's streaming. not just asynchronous. It's not, it is live in the classroom. They can ask questions. It comes, it's linked up to a speaker in the classroom above our heads. And when some, someone asks a question, everyone jumps because, <laughs> in the class. Because, uh, but they're there with us. Yeah, that's uh, even better than live streaming because yeah. you're really in community, aren't yeah. you? Live yeah. community while you learn. Yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, and so what a great opportunity. Don't miss out on that. Yep. Hi, I'm Mark Candle from uh, Calga Falls, Ohio. I'm asking this question for Bev Martin, the lady at our church. First of all, my wife and I are getting to go with to Jerusalem and Israel with you too. So we're, whoa, oh, really we're going to have a great that. time for this. You know what, you time. guys, you're not getting to go with us. You're getting to go with Eva and Marty. There you that's, go. Yeah, there that's you true. Go. Be honest. About that, that's that. very true. Okay. I get to go with her too. Yeah. So. Uh, her question is, uh, she was raised Catholic and in uh, Matthew chapter 16, when G Jesus asked Peter, whom do you say that I am? Uh, we have a lot of Catholic friends. How do we tell them politely who the rock is that Jesus is going to build his church upon. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, oh. <laughs> Joe's pointing at me. <laughs> well, let me just say that one of the, I, I appreciate all our Roman Catholic listeners. Amen. We have a lot of listeners who go to Roman Catholic Church, and I meet them, and I... Uh, appreciate them so much. Sometimes I don't agree with everything that the Roman Catholic Church teaches, but as I talk to my Roman Catholic friends, they say we don't either. So I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, and one of the things I like to do is emphasize uh, how much I agree with them. You know, if, if when Peter says, uh, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, you know what? They absolutely agree that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and so let's emphasize that. Now let me tell you what I disagree with, probably what you think about. A traditional Protestant interpretation of that passage when Peter says, Peter, you are the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Uh, many Protestants want to say that's the confession that Peter made, this confession that you're the Messiah. They don't want to say that Peter's the rock because they think it means that Peter's going to become the first pope. Uh, I don't believe it means that Peter's the first pope, but I think uh, the Lord Jesus is actually talking about Peter. Peter, you are the rock. Upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And how does that happen? Uh, so I kind of agree with our Catholic friends, but my Catholic friends would say, well, see, that's how Peter becomes the pope. No, the, 
I don't think there's a pope till the 6th or the 7th century, Pope Gregory, whenever it was. But I think what it's saying is that, Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Remember he says that? It doesn't mean he stands at heaven and welcomes people and checks, you know, uh, Bob, are you here? You know, uh, no, sorry. Kick. No, it's not. that's not Peter's job. Peter's job is this. He had the keys. Who's the first to preach to Jewish people in the book of Acts? Acts 2. Peter. Then Stephen and Philip go out and preach the gospel. Philip reaches the Samaritans, right? And they become believers. But there's this weird thing that you'd expect the Holy Spirit to come upon them immediately. But no. What happens is Peter has to go and lay hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they are folded into this new body of Christ, the church. And Peter has the keys for the Samaritans. And then in Acts 10, Peter goes and he preaches to Cornelius, the first Gentile, to become a believer. And the Holy Spirit falls upon him instantly because Peter is preaching, and Peter uh, Cornelius in his house uh, comes to know the Lord. And the keys of the kingdom are given to Peter the Rock, and he preaches or folds the uh, the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles into the body. That's what I think Matthew 16 is talking about. I don't think it's talking about Peter being the Pope. So, Michael, okay. what I like is what go, what he says after that. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, uh, that I will build my church, yeah. and the gates of <laughs> hell will not prevail against Instant. it. Yes, I, I think that. there's a lot of despair today among Christians mm-hmm. that we've lost. You know, the culture is so dark that we're the losers. That statement is really critical. Mm-hmm. And it's that, and, you know, that, the imagery is so amazing because we always think of the church behind gates, right? And, and no, the, we're the aggressive and, ones, yeah. right? We're busting through the, the gates, gates of hell. Exactly. And, it, and it's that it is his... Peter, I agree with what you're saying. That Peter is so important in that text. But it's not Peter's church, right? No. I will build my church. It's his work, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I think that's the victory cry of Christians. Despair should not be in our vocabulary yeah. because uh, of that wonderful statement in that text. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's absolutely true. And I love the imagery in that statement is we are pounding the gates of hell. Uh, and they can't hold up against the message of the gospel. So, yeah. And the Lord Jesus, you know, I had, uh, when I started a congregation on Long Island back in the dark ages, and uh, I was a long time ago, I, uh, there was uh, several families from a local Baptist church uh, that were Jewish believers that wanted to help start this Messianic congregation. And I thought, oh, no, the pastor's going to hate me. And he was this young pastor right out of Denver Seminary. I went to see him, and I said, these people want to help me start this church. And, and he just looked at me. And he said, I'm not going to build the church. I don't worry about this. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church. And he says, if he wants to build his church by having these people leave mine and help you start this new one, so be it. I thought, okay, there's a godly guy. And, and, and that's the key. The Lord Jesus is the one that builds the church. Yep. Hi, I'm Bonnie Candle from Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And Mark just asked a question, and it's my turn. Mm-hmm. And my children are probably listening and going, oh, she's going to ask this question. Okay. And not. Mark. They, they know. Yes. <laughs> In Mark 14, 51 to 52, who is the young man, and why is he naked, and what's the <laughs> significance? What's I always wonder that, too. What in the world is he doing? Why is he naked? Yes, why is he naked? Uh, 
Yeah. Well, it's sort of a signature, it seems like. Uh, what it, it seems to be is... Now, by the way, the word naked is used in other places. For example, Isaiah the prophet is told to go around preaching barefoot and naked. I am convinced it doesn't mean completely naked. I mean, I think he was going around without his tunic on, without his robe on, and uh, therefore in his underwear, which would be bad enough for me, you know, <laughs> but that's what he did. And it says here in, now, a certain young man, meaning me, Mark says, the guy who's writing this, having a linen cloth wrapped around his naked body was following him. They caught hold of him, and he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Now, I don't know if it means absolutely naked or in his underwear. Uh, that would have been considered naked to be in his underwear if when they pulled the, 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 the whatever he had around him and then he would have dashed off. So I, th I suspect he would have been in uh, the, the ancient form of underwear that they had. Uh, but nevertheless, I think it's Mark giving his little signature, because the gospel of Mark is really Peter's message. Uh, the most ancient traditions we have about the gospel by Mark is that he was with Peter in Rome when, Rome, when he gave a, a public statement of the gospel, and Mark wrote it down uh, and that's why it's sort of a fast one, because it's based on a sermon by Peter, and he wrote it down and had Peter's thumb, thumbprint, mark of approval, uh, but it was Mark, and he's saying, hey, uh, this is Peter's message, but I wrote it down, and, and that's what I think that is. Uh, well, I, I just think that he wasn't intentionally naked. He didn't no. show up naked, right? <laughs> but somebody grabbed his clothes, right? Yeah, and yeah. He, he wanted out of there right now, so... Yeah. Maybe he became naked, yeah. but it wasn't that he was hanging around naked yeah, right. while he was there. <laughs> he, he may have been a little bit like uh, uh, Joseph, Joseph with Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife. wife. I thought yeah. the same thing. Yeah, really. yeah. Well, here's the cloak. There we go. So We're going to take a break here. Uh, uh, this is Open Line, and my name is Michael Rydonek. The other good voice you're hearing is Joe Stoll uh, and all these wonderful listeners who are here in studio with me. We're going to be right back with more of their questions in just a moment, so don't go away. More Open Lines coming up. to be here with this live studio audience. They're asking the questions. Joe Stoll is here with me, and we're answering their questions. I hope they're asking the questions that you're thinking about at home. A frequent question I get on open line is, what should I think about the Jewish people? Are they God's chosen people? Does, is God going to keep his promises to the Jewish people? All these questions are really important. People ask me because I'm Jewish, and they think I have the inside uh, scoop on this. Uh, anyone can read the Bible and see about that. But what I really appreciate is one of our underwriters, Chosen People Ministries, uh, they are offering a booklet that will really help answer those questions. It's called Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. And if you want to understand God's promises and his faithfulness to Israel, that's the book for you. And you can get it by just going to our website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down to the bottom where it says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. You click on that and you'll be able to get a copy of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus. It's a great book. 
I think you'll really find it helpful. Okay, we're going to go right back to questions right now. Okay. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Uh, I'm Jeff. I'm from the village of Menden, Ohio. Oh. And Ohio. Yeah. Yes. My Northwest Ohio. In Ohio. Yep. Northwest Ohio. Yep. So my question is, in in the book of Acts, we see where uh, Paul, again and again, when he goes to the synagogues, his custom is to go to the synagogue first uh, on all of his missionary journeys. And it, it appears that he, it says that he reasoned with devout Jews, uh, Gentiles, God-seekers, and, and uh, proselytes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my question is, though, wasn't the synagogues for the Jews only? And then the second part of the question is then, why were the Jews so jealous if the Gentiles were persuaded to Christ? Well, first of all, the synagogues were not exclusively for Jewish people. They were God-fearers in the back. God-fearers were Jewish or Gentiles, but no longer pagans. They were people who were from the nations who no longer believed in the false um, idolatry and paganism that was so prevalent in the Greco-Roman world, but believed that there was one true God and uh, he was the God of Israel. Uh, Now you say, well, why didn't they convert to Judaism? Well, someone asked a question earlier about circumcision. That wasn't uh, something that a lot of people wanted to get involved with, but they still could be God-fearers. And in Judaism, they taught that as long as you believed in the true God, uh, you you did not have to become Jewish uh, to experience God's grace. So uh, as a result, there was no pressure. They allowed them to come at the back uh, and participate in worship with God. Uh, why did they get jealous? Well, uh, they they didn't want them abandoning the synagogue for this new faith. I think that's what the issue was. Uh, they, they were grateful for their presence there. One of the things that I think this is really important about is that there's a verse in Romans that Paul says that salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jewish people jealous, Romans 11.11. 11. And I think, why does God save Gentiles? Well, obviously, to show his glory. That's why he saves anyone. Why does God save Gentiles? Because he loves them. How do you know God loves Gentiles? Look how many he made, right? So, uh, but, uh, but nevertheless, one purpose that God has in saving Gentiles is to make Jewish people want what rightfully belongs to them by giving it to the Gentiles. Uh, and uh, when you think about that, that's a good jealousy. Uh, and I, I want to really encourage Gentiles to see your faith as a means of making Jewish people jealous. Uh, I think it's crucial, and the way you do that is by loving Jewish people and recognizing the Jewishness of your faith. I will say one other thing. Moody Bible Institute, I, I, I love talking about this. We at Moody Bible Institute have had a Jewish studies program for 100 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the interview that I did with you yeah, many to years come ago. on was to head up our Jewish program. Yeah. Do you remember, Michael? Yeah. When you, you talked with me about my friend Arnold Fruchtenbaum. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, who's just announced his retirement, which is just amazing. So <laughs> at 80 years old, he's going to go into partial retirement. Mm. So, uh, But anyway, uh, from a, a Jewish ministry he leads. But uh, the, the thing about our Jewish studies program, 100 years, it's had the greatest impact of training both Jewish believers and Gentiles who go into the Jewish world and provoke Jewish people not to wrath, but to jealousy. And we've seen many, many Jewish people come to faith because God uses this program right here at Moody Bible Institute. Yes. Morning, Michael. My name is Bob from St. Charles, Illinois. 
My question is, uh, what prophecies still need to be fulfilled uh, before Christ returns? Everything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the Bible teaches the rapture, mm -hmm. okay, the tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, the building of the temple, the Antichrist temple, uh, the uh, uh, attack on the Jewish people that's going to happen at the end of days uh, that leads the Jewish people to put their trust in Jesus to save them, uh, the return of the Lord Jesus, uh, the judgment of the nations, the, uh, the establishment of the Messianic kingdom, and the establishment of the Millennial Temple, uh, where we will worship the Lord Jesus. Uh, I, think, I think there's a lot there. You know, it's interesting. There's great movement today to make sure the Bible's translated into every language and every tongue. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is, too, isn't it, that some from every tribe and nation will be there. Yeah, exactly. That we have to complete that task globally mm -hmm. of bringing the gospel to every tribe and nation. I'm asking yeah. you this No, question. I think, you, you know, think that verse that's... in Matthew where it says that in Matthew 24 that the gospel will be preached, uh, that's not talking about in our generation. That's in the tribulation period, mm -hmm. the gospel, and that's why we need to prepare it by bringing the gospel, but like you say, talking, uh, translating the, the scriptures into every language so that, you know, we think of the tribulation period as being this terrible time of God's wrath on earth, as it is. It will be that way, but it's also going to be the greatest revival in the history of humanity. Mm -hmm. People are going to turn to Jesus because it's going to be so bad. And it's gonna, that's why in Revelation 6, it describes the myriads of people who are worshiping from every tribe and tongue and nation. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one great big worship yeah, service, amen. don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Can't wait to get there. Yeah, it's going to be great. And so, you know, again, does God love the Jewish people? Absolutely. Does God love the whole world? Absolutely. And he is going to use all those events at the end of days to bring people from both Jewish and non-Jewish backgrounds into a personal relationship, forgiven, eternal, uh, I call it a forever forgiven relationship with the Lord Jesus. You can have that too, by the way. If you're listening, you need to put your trust in Jesus. Believe that he died for you, rose again, and you can be part of that great throng. Well, that's the program for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for this live audience for bringing your questions to me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joe, for joining me. Joy to be with you, Michael. Always great to have you with me. That was just so... And thanks to the Chicago crew, Trisha McMillan, Courtney Young, Chris Seagard, Joel Swan, uh, Clara Seagard, Josie, thank you. Uh, I probably forgot other people, but glad you're here with us. Remember, keep in touch with us by going to our website, openlineradio.org. It has all sorts of links you'll find helpful, including our current resource and how to become a kitchen table partner. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydell is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.